0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the Biblical Five-Point Covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling.
1: All right, welcome to Worldview Media Podcast. My name is Gordon Runyon, and I'm your host today with a face made for radio and a voice made for pantomime, and I'm here with my friend on the phone, John Steinreich. Hello, Hello. sir. How are you? Real good. Uh, I wanted to have Brother John on the phone and interview him a little bit because of his profession and how would you describe what you do in the music industry
2: well um uh, uh, the thing that i usually say to people is, is something <laughs> that is a little off color have you ever seen adam Sandler in the wedding singer oh yeah yeah yes. <laughs> yeah in, in a less uh, grotesque way i've sort of like that i uh, i've been playing live music for many many years and i i
1: <laughs> all right, yeah. all right. And how long you been uh, working as a musician professionally? Then
2: I, I professionally started about twenty five years ago, um, and uh, it's it's uh, not my full time job, but it's something that I, I pursue pretty energetically. And my wife is also.
1: sounds exciting. Hey, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because you strike me as a bit of a renaissance man. (laughs) And uh, I mean by that, if I understand it right, back in 2001 when we had the 9-11 crisis, uh, your response to that was that you wanted to know more about Islam, and you didn't take the kind of normal expected route of going to the Christian bookstore and finding a book on Islam, uh, you kind of went a different direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. w- tell our listeners what you did there. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, I appreciate you asking because it really was a life-changing moment for me, Nine eleven. 9-11. But strongly about 9-11, not the, the sheer ferocity of the violence, but but the response to it that I saw from the media and from the professional government resources. It was essentially to downplay the, the gravity of it and the uh, impact of Islam in bringing the event about, I think I a sort of a strange word of kind of getting there because I'm, my Christian background came um, sort of out of left field as well. My, uh, my ethnicity, uh, I come from a the family that is Eastern European Jews had emigrated to the United States in you know, the Great Wave during the, the Golden Age, sort of the beginning of the, the turn of the century. And so they were all you know, Eastern European Jews, and my parents, my grandparents were tremendously religious, so religion itself was not a big factor in my upbringing. But um, we had the cultural trappings of it. Uh, when I got to my 20s, I sort of had an existential crisis where I, I didn't know where I was going in life, and the long story short I found Christ, or perhaps better stated, Christ found me. And I became a Christian in a non-denominational uh, congregation where I've been since 1994, actually. So I was converted to Christ out of, uh, you know, a ethnically Jewish but non-religious background. And, and my introduction to Christianity was very biblically based. That is, I was encouraged to study the Bible for myself learn about Jesus for myself and make an informed decision myself about whether I believed what the Bible was saying was true. And really what happened in in my conversion process was that I was, you know, the picture that I saw in Scripture was dramatically different from the presentation of Jesus that the media would tell you, you or that the denominational world would tell you. He wasn't, you know, that... um, Angelic sort of blonde-haired figure who spoke in hushed tones, but he's—he seemed like a real rugged individualist, sort of <laughs> right. a strong, violent, a tough personality who stood up to religious leaders and political leaders and told it like it was and didn't shy from it and hung out with
3: <laughs> he Hung
2: right. out with people that I was kind of hanging out with. Because I was a musician. He was hanging out with the, you know, the, the underbelly of society, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and Jesus was dramatically different. And I, I, I learned this early on in Christianity. Like, okay, the presentation of religion is not necessarily what the media. That's not necessarily accurate. Right. What's more accurate is if you actually go to the source book, you find out for yourself, and then you make a decision. So here was two thousand 9-11 happens, and. I have a very distinct memory of the terrible event itself. And then President Bush going on TV in Congress about 10 days later, he said, you know, Islam is a great great religion. I'm paraphrasing. Um, It's a religion of peace, essentially. That was the mantra. You know, it's a wonderful thing. It's some bad guys. It's some bad stuff. We're not at war with Islam. It's a religion of peace. And so I, I scratched my head and I said, okay, well, I look at this event here, 3,000 of my fellow citizens having their coffee break or taking an airline flight. Uh, this got incinerated by some guy who claimed that God told him to do this. And right. the president of the United States and the media is telling me, oh, I'm confident, not to worry about that. It was just the bad actors right. who we went off the deep end and we'll clean it up. So I thought to myself, well, the media had told me one picture about Jesus. Let me go and see if the picture of Muhammad is the same. I should be able to open up the quran and look in it, and I should be able to corroborate what they're telling me right. in the media if it's actually a religious piece. And so I did. I I sent an email to care, to the Council on Islamic American relations, which is a certain advocacy group in the country. I got myself a very thick Koran, a massive tome, and officially signed to one by a guy named Muhammad Assad, who actually was a Jewish convert to Islam. Wow. And, you know, it, yeah, it can be English version, which I can read from the Arabic, but I couldn't, which makes it official that the Arabic text is there. And then it had a phonetic version of, you know, of the Arabic into English Roman characters, right? So you could actually read along. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could, see, you, you could see where the, you could sound out where Jihad was or Mujahideen or whatever it was. I read through this very thick book,
3: and it didn't, the picture I started to get was not the same what <laughs> I had. Right, right. I'd
2: been told in media, so I read it, it was very arduous, <laughs> it's not a book that I recommend for lightly. You know, you read the Bible, <laughs> sure. it's kind of interesting, because it's got a nice historical context to it, and it's got poetry, and, you know, it's got wisdom, it's Quran, it. the Quran, to me, feels like opening up. The, my, the schizophrenic book, honestly, because it is all over the place. Oh there are, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's stories. That come um, uh, biblical figures, Moses, Adam. You know, they just drop anywhere in the book. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then there's lots of commands: do this, do that, don't do another thing. And then lots of threats and warnings about you better follow Allah, or you're gonna be burned in hell and sure. have all these horrible things happen. And that is it's very decontextualized. But the, the overall thrust of it that you get when you when you read it is like, no, no, there's not a lot of peace up it here. There's elements of it that you can see there are passages that sort of mimic the Bible. God's really brought it, God is God the light and so on, God is a sustainer. But then there's lots and lots of commands kill the unbelief, wherever you find them, which is the in or Quran ninety five and many other commands and mandates to go to I was getting texts that support the Quran. You know, your listeners know that
3: the Quran is similar to the Bible and that it's the holy book of this month. There are
2: several other books that they consider canonical. Sure. not true at all from a doctrinal standpoint. Oh, yeah. The doctrine itself does not point to this. The vast majority of the doctrine of Islam says, uh no, you you must the, the rest of us are the worst and if people don't convert, they have you know a choice to either be killed or pay a subjugation tax. that's sure. sort of the the, the the doctrine of it. In in that process I felt in to try to Put this down for a Christian to understand, right? See, so many brothers and sisters in the church who have no clue, you know, they they don't understand the first thing about Islamic doctrine. I thought, let me do a comparison and contrast and write this down. What I understand from the Bible as compared to what I understand from the Quran, lay it out with my best exegesis and uh, give people some, say, okay, these are what these two religions actually teach from their source books, not the nice a Muslim guy who's the grocer down the street who's a wonderful yeah, fellow. Yeah. But what, what do the books actually say? And yeah. You,
1: you make the choice. Right. And what I really appreciated about that was there was something about the way you thought that you weren't ready to just accept kind of easy answers. And Yes. And so the conclusion to all this searching and kind of why I wanted to talk about it is that you wound up writing a book on mm-hmm. what you had. Uh, discovered in your research, and uh, I will tell you that we got into contact sometime shortly after you had written the book, and yeah. and right before I got into contact with you, I had read Doctor James White's book called uh, "What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Quran," and uh, you contacted me, I think, and and. Yes. And turned me on to your book, and I read it. And I gotta tell, I gotta say, just uh, just being honest, I would much rather recommend your book than Doctor White's. Oh. And uh, I don't know if you've had <laughs> well, an opportunity to read his or,
2: or I know, I, I haven't. I've heard the name though, but, but thank you. I'm I'm honored with the the encouragement like that.
1: Thank you. It, well, yours seems to be very much more uh, kind of street level. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Doctor White's book, except that it's. Extremely dense and kind of hard to get through. You know, if if you really believe every Christian needs to have this information, it seems like you ought to try to write at a kind of every guy sort of level. And yeah. and I feel like you've done that. And so, well, thank you. Uh, why, don't you just, why don't you tell our listeners where they can get a hold of your book? Sure, absolutely.
2: Well, the title of the book is "The Words of God." The words of God. Uh, the Bible, Quran, and how they are lived in the post level world. Uh, Amazon, you like, can Google my name, which is John Steinreich, and the last name is spelled S-T-E-I-N-R-E-I-C-H. Um, so it's there in uh, format or Kindle format. And then I have a uh, web link where I'm still published authors, so I use the Google.com website publishing and work, and I have an office space there,
1: which is uh, loo.com, which is L-U-L-U-L-I-C-O-M, backslash. Yeah, we had a little bit of a breakup there. We'll At the end of the podcast, we'll make sure we get those links out again. Okay. We're going to take a short break now and get a word from our sponsor, and then we will come back, and I want to talk to... John more specifically in line with this podcast in terms of what it means to be a Christian in the music industry. And uh, this is worldview media podcast, not just movie reviews or book reviews, but we also want to talk a little bit about music and creating good art for the sake of glorifying God. So we'll be back in just a moment. And we're back um, with John Steinreich, and the worldview media that we're going to talk about is the medium of music and working in the music industry. Uh, John, I want to tell you that I ran into a, a brother who works in the video game industry, and he said that it was kind of an eye-opening experience for him to realize that he can glorify God as a video game creator without having to make kind of like VeggieTales video games or, or something like that. He can, he can actually glorify God just by making the best darn video game there is and by telling a story that comports with a biblical worldview. doesn't have to be an explicitly Christian thing. And uh, I'm reminded of a quote that I see from Martin Luther. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but the gist of it is that the Christian shoemaker doesn't need to sew tiny crosses on his shoes to glorify Christ. He, He glorifies God by making great shoes. With that kind of in mind, I want to ask you what thoughts are on your mind in terms of what it means to be a Christian in today's music industry?
2: Well, I, I, I uh, I'm interested in, uh or it's encouraging, we were thinking on the same facts, so let turned turn it out. with, you know, Scrooge. Right, right. Uh, They just, you know, human beings don't want to hang out with a party pooper. In in that way, certainly, you know, worship music should be, I would think, joyful and has a purpose and a place if we're we're gathering with the specific, explicit intent to worship God. Okay, well, let's pull out music that lifts people's spirits and the lyrics themselves, Help us to sing out to God that's that's wonderful but when we get out into the, the world at large um, not everybody is a Christian not everybody is gathering spe- specifically for that purpose right you know how they they want to have a good time so I am as a Christian myself have to come into that experience and I'm a representative of Christ when I go go into there I don't divorce my Christianity from my vocation, I know how to play the piano, I know how to sing a little bit, I could—I know how to put a band together and play a tune that makes people tap their feet. Well, that to me is as godly as, you know, going up to them and, you know, preaching the gospel directly to their faith. Uh, if right. I can actually elevate their spirit, I'm actually moving them towards Christ. Um, and this, there's a saying that's been attributed to Francis of Assisi, Mis, uh, misused, but you know, in our modern vernacular, we say you know, uh, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Right. right. Uh, and and what what Francis actually said in his uh, rule book in twelve twenty one was let the brothers however preach by their deeds. Oh yeah.
3: So yeah yeah
2: when when we're out and about doing whatever it is that we're doing, if I am a shoemaker, let me preach the gospel by being the very best and making the very best pair of shoes that I can. Right. I'm going to make someone else's life better. Isn't that what Christ, one of the things that he came for? <laughs> sure. Um, in my yeah. context, when I'm outperforming and I'm giving somebody some joy, let me do it with, with a whole heart and let me be happy that God has granted me a talent to put a smile on somebody else's face and make their day even better than it was before.
1: Sure. Well, that, uh, that gets me thinking in terms of the second great commandment about uh, loving your neighbor as yourself, and and uh, I guess in my in in a lot of my thinking about arts and media and what it would mean to serve Christ in that, you know, I I have to confess that's kind of a fresh idea for me that that you get into this both to glorify God. And to and to be of a service to your neighbor and and to love them through your artistic expressions and that's kind of a neat idea for me. Is that kind of what you're talking about?
2: Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's exactly it. I was looking at an article today um, by a, a writer named Gene Vice, V I T H is his name and and he he wrote. And he was talking about, basically, Luther's idea. And uh, he quotes a guy named Gustav Wingren, who's a Swedish theologian who wrote on Luther. And when, what he says is, in his vocation, man does works which affect the well-being of others. Or so, God has made all offices. Through this work in man's offices, God's creative work goes forward, and that creative work is love. A profusion of good gifts. So I mean, you can you can see that Lutheran idea that you know what God put the creativity. God Himself is the Creator. He puts that creativity in us as images yeah, yeah. of His creation, and then He allows us by the working of our hands to do good works towards others. So what challenges me so much, Gordon, about our our, our modern society, something that I struggle with as a Christian, um, is the compartmentalization. Of our faith oh, sure. separating yeah. you know se- separating our Christian life from the rest of the world or the right. rest of our life yeah. you know and and the idea of like and I've heard you know when rock and roll music came out in the 1950s they called it devil's music and so forth right. and then maybe there was maybe there was something to that I, I, <laughs> I don't know but it's rather tame you know if I listen to Elvis or Chuck Berry today it's quite tame <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you
3: know that, that's on it you know but But really,
2: I think that's reflective of sort of a Christian compartmentalization. Okay, if you do music, it's only supposed to be this kind of music for this kind of purpose. And don't you dare take it out anywhere else and do anything else with it, because you're just opening the door for Satan to tempt you. Right, right. Okay, well, why why should that be? If I'm I'm a performer, I have the gift of being able to play something that somebody enjoys lets them get up and move a little bit, puts a smile on on their face. How is that ungodly? I mean, unless unless we're singing, you know, really nasty, raunchy stuff and right. encouraging people to, you know, truly to dive into sin headlong, I, I don't see how that's so wrong. Uh, I, right, right. I, I
1: and uh, I, I'm kind of glad you mentioned that. I'm sitting here trying to anticipate what our readers are going to be thinking as you're talking, and the question that came to my mind is, well a lot of those secular songs are you know they're purposely glorifying sinful activities and and what mm-hmm. do you, what do you do with lyrics like that and and from what you just said it seems to me you're you're not talking about throwing away discernment and you're not talking about yeah. compromising your morality for the sake of singing a, a dopey song you're uh, yeah so apparently you are still talking about using some christian judgment about what you'll sing and what you won't
2: yes exactly we, you know there are certain things that we intentionally change lyrics on because it you know okay it's pushing the boundaries. <laughs> right it's not not right. A, not appropriate and you know there there are themes of songs that um you know I, i've actually made recommendations you know uh, to clients who have said to me you know what i I, I, you know, you and I are from the same generation, so you probably remember a song from the early 80s by Rick Springfield called Jesse's Girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, my band has played that in the past. You know, it's just a, I, I can't be rocking old song about a guy who's like, you know, he's in love with his best friend's girlfriend. He's struggling with that, right? Right. So, I, I recently had a client who asked me to play that at his wedding, and I said, well, you know, I'm not sure that that's the right that you want you, you know what this song is actually about you hadn't really thought
1: about it. <laughs> right you're yeah. you just married a girl yeah. and now you're you're gonna dance to a song lusting after somebody yeah. else's woman
2: lusting yeah. after somebody else. and, and when you know we and I literally, you know we had a conversation said, yeah you know what's right that's probably not the right thing
3: right okay right
2: and so we scratched that one from from the place so that, that to me is an element of, of discernment and, that, and then there are things that you know yeah we absolutely won't won't do. My wife and I, you know, and, and when we're performing, you know, we'll, we'll make a choice that so, you know what I'm not going to add that particular song to the playlist.
3: Yeah, right. So if we
2: hire a DJ to work with it, like we're going to ask him to scratch, you know, this particular artist or whatever, right? Because it's just pushing the boundary. And yes, we want to represent God, and we don't want to, you know, we want to be in the world but not of the world.
1: Sure. Right. Yeah. We- well, let me ask you a more theoretical question. It's something that's been on my mind, and I'll tell you before I ask it that I don't really have an answer. So, if you if you don't, don't feel bad. Well, <laughs> I'm just wondering what your immediate thoughts are. But the uh, in the field of philosophy, and I know you've done some reading in history and and philosophy, and and that's uh, part of your Renaissance men work. Uh, the some of the ancient philosophers were big on the triad of virtues of goodness and beauty and truth, and it occurs to me as a Christian that we have the we have the standard for goodness and truth revealed in Christ through the scriptures and so there's no room for us to say that goodness is subjective. you know we're all about no goodness is. Goodness is God and, and He's not changing and, and truth doesn't change and, and there's an objective standard. But, but then when you get to that last bit of the triad and you start talking about beauty, our culture is so convinced and, and Christians are so convinced that beauty is almost completely subjective. And so any crashing sound or buzzsaw or something like that can can be part of beautiful music, according to a lot of folks. And, and I just wonder what you think about the philosophical idea that there is some music that is more inherently beautiful than others because God is... God has got to be the objective standard of beauty as well as of goodness and truth. Does any of that make sense to you, or what do you think? No, it it, it does make sense to me, and, and I, I
2: wrestle with that personally because I, I have uh, two kids that are ages 11 and 6, and they really like hip-hop music. Oh, right. And, yeah, and I listen to this, and... Um, I I can't understand it. Well, I mean, I, I can understand why <laughs> in right. some
3: ways. do it. And I'm like, I just don't.
2: It doesn't resonate with me at all. It's disjointed. It's atonal. Yeah. Um, it, it's often vulgar. And like, man, I don't get it. But then I think back thirty five years ago when I was growing up, and I you know was pulling out my Doors albums or Jimi Hendrix sure. or whatever I was listening to, and my dad was a real jazzer? You know, he oh. likes Oscar, Oscar Peterson, and Polonius Monk, and dudes like that. And I would be playing rock and roll music, and he would have the same look on his face and same attitude. Thing, what do you like that for? Yeah, right. And and and, and all I can remember saying was like, that, I don't, I don't know. I just like it. Um, yeah. and my daughter says, Yeah, I don't know. I like it. I can do it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, so there, I, I, I wish there was an absolute answer. I, I think that. Some, you know, personally, I think there are things that are more beautiful than others. When you know, melodies work in a certain way; yeah, to, yeah. They, they they create a feeling in a person of, of elevation. Um, and then there's there's stuff that you know just you know sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard. Sure, but then right. again, to the next guy, you know, it's hey, that's the coolest thing that they've <laughs> right. ever they've ever heard. If it's uplifting, if it's if, if whatever it is is doing something to make a person aware of, of good things and right. divine things in some some way, I guess we have to say that you know it it would fall in the category of beauty i'm not 100 percent sure
1: yeah I'd, I'd, I'd be with you i think every generation kind of seems to have its own tastes and and preferences but i'm wondering if i'm wondering if that is all just uh you know if that's just a cultural slide or or something like that and and uh I guess I still struggle believing that, that beauty really is objective and music is, mm-hmm. music, beautiful music is objective. I think I was listening to a book from Martin Celbridi, and he was talking about uh, Johann Sebastian Bach and how Bach was kind of convinced that music itself is a language like any other. and. Yeah. And that the highest purpose of any language is to communicate the glory of God and to preach the gospel. And, and you know, Bach, apparently he explicitly knew that's what his calling was, was to glorify God through music. And, and you know, he's writing symphonies that don't have any words that you can listen to, no lyrics, you know, uh, yeah. and still convinced that he's communicating something about God in that. Does that ring a bell, or does that make any sense to you? Yeah, or?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, it absolutely, no, it absolutely does. Um, in, in that, music music in itself doesn't necessarily need to have a word, a, you know, a lyric to it in order to convey something uh, of God, because, you know, we can, you can hear a beautiful melody and be moved to tears by it. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Bach was, in my view, he was a genius for, certainly of his, of his time. It, it reminds me of something that I read by J.I. Packer, He did an analysis of charismatic Christianity and the modern version of speaking in tongues.
3: Oh right.
2: Um. And and he he likened it to, to scat singing. Oh. <laughs>
3: yeah, you know,
2: you know, uh, Ella Fitzgerald. You know, <laughs> right, you, right. Ella Fitzgerald to me was a, a brilliant vocalist, tremendous skills at being able to place lyrics, and she had a beautiful tone, and just she was very herself, very charismatic of a of a performer. Oh but, yeah, yeah. You know her her biggest her niche was scat singing. And scat singing, they're, they're, you know, it's basically you're soloing as if you were a trumpet player, right? You're, you're running a melody um, as a soloist, but you're not saying anything per se. Right, but You're right. attempting to evoke some emotion in the listener. Right. And Packer com- compared that to modern speaking in tongues and you know what, this is an, an indiscernible language. Like the person who's doing it could very well be, speaking something from their soul, spiritually, right. maybe they understand God or who knows, that they're, they're getting out in a way that is indiscernible. That's interesting. And, and, and,
1: yeah,
2: yeah I, I thought it was a really interesting take on it. So maybe there is certain truth to your idea that there is, yeah, there's objective beauty or there's objective goodness in music. You know, when it evokes something even profound and good in one's, one's soul.
1: Right, um, right. Okay, let yeah, me yeah. let me All give right. you a, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Let me let me give you a last challenge here. I want you to yeah. imagine if you will a Christian teenager who knows that he has a musical gift. He taught himself how to play the guitar or he's he's mm-hmm. he's learned how to play the trumpet and that's his love and that's what he wants to do. That's his passion. But he's a Christian teenager and he does want to glorify God but he's hearing things especially in my community the reformed uh community he's hearing things that kind of make it sound like if you're going to serve God vocationally that's going to mean things like full-time ministry or writing a book or you know uh, yeah. something like that uh, is there some kind of word of encouragement that you can give to that teenager who may not ever sing a lyric in his life, but he knows that he has a God-given talent to play an instrument? All does it right. does that mean he has to find a worship band to be part of, or or just give some pastoral counsel to a guy sure. like that?
2: Well, I'm going to go to Scripture and and let the Scripture do the talking uh, to answer that question. Two things that come to mind. Um, Colossians three um, I'm reading from the NIV version, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So the first thing is the self-examination, to be sure that he's working with his whole heart for God first and not for human masters. And that would include, you know, even, even churchy people, shall we say. Right. You know, right. people who have sort of a, um, a disposition to say, no, nah, no, nah, you really got to do it in a worship music fashion. You can't do it in a secular or quasi-secular manner. The first thing would be, he's got to be Clear in his mind and his heart that he's doing it for God and for godly purposes first and
3: foremost, right. not
2: for human beings. Um, it's God ultimately that he's serving, and if he, if that means going out and he wants to play in coffee shops and elevate people's night, make them feel better, and, and earn his bread and getting tips that way, I don't see anything wrong with that. Right. Um, there's, and you know, I'm going to go to Ephesians in, in chapter four. Verse twenty nine says, "Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." So, wow. uh, and I would say, in addition to you know uh, the words that we speak, when we're playing music, it's the same thing. We want to bring out of ourselves that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs
1: right because you're loving they, loving your neighbor going back to that loving your
2: loving your neighbor think, think again think about that coffee shop uh, on a
1: Saturday night right yeah
2: that's not a church setting but there might be a person who's sitting in there lonely and fat because of whatever's going on in their life just hanging out and a musician comes in and sings a song or plays a song that elevates that person's spirit, right? It makes them feel a little bit better. Maybe they go up and they start talking to that guitar player and asking him, you know, what's his inspiration? What are you doing? And it would give him a perfect lead-in to actually share the actual gospel, sure, by yeah. by speaking to him. And and if, if it doesn't happen, if that person's mind is made just a little bit better, yeah. then to me, I think they've done the work of Christ.
1: Yeah, you never know. I mean, not before I was in Christ, I I was in those sorts of places. And, and, uh, man, there are, there really are times when you might walk in there really bummed out about something that's happened in your life and, and sitting in there with some good music that, and, and I say that from a secular standpoint from something, you know, well-played music that, that is, uh, that is joyful in its own right. and, and, uh man, I'm convinced I've seen people's lives kind of be saved <laughs> from uh yeah. from hearing a a decent song played well. Even without hearing the gospel. They you know, maybe they walked out in a radically different mindset than they came in, you know, wondering why yeah. they go on and, and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I remember when I, when I was in college, you know, I was not in a great space, but you know, I was twenty years old and just you know, kind of a reckless guy I wasn't going anywhere you know I had plenty of periods of depression I remember having a vinyl album of a group called Boston and listening to that and listening to the guitar solos on there and that was something sure. that would help me get through that I'm like I really liked the way the guy <laughs> was expressing himself through this particular guitar solo it hit my soul in a certain way Pick me up, yeah, from yeah. where I was. So you know, maybe I would take <laughs> let's drink that <laughs> right because I had I, guess I had a vinyl album of something that lifted my spirit.
1: Yeah, exactly. If the if the if the guy doesn't make it through the night because he's killed himself, you're, you know, there's his last no more chances to hear the gospel after right. that. And exactly. The Christian ER doctor may never talk to his patients, but he's still serving God by saving their bodies and, and stuff like that. Okay. Well, I don't want to keep you very long. I know you've got a I know you've got other stuff to do, the busy Renaissance man that you are. And I I, I really appreciate the time that you've given to us tonight. And, and uh let me ask you again. Okay, your the book is called The Words of God, uh, plural plural words. Yep. And uh People can just find it by typing that into Amazon or finding your name, John Steinreich, and yeah,
2: hmm And you then use my name is faster to find.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, spell that again for him.
2: The last name is spelled S-T-E-I-N-R-E-I-C-H. Okay. And um, I actually have. Um, I wanted to give a direct link. I, I have a web page on Lulu and the, the, the full the full page is. Lulu l u l u dot com backslash spotlight backslash J D S bookstore and those are my initials John Daniel Steinright okay. bookstore and I have the words of God there and I also have my new publication which I, I haven't done much promotion on but it's called a great cloud of witnesses and uh, that's some essays that I've uh, basically on reform theology great. Um,
3: great. on
2: a variety of different topics that I think people will be very interested in and I'm, I'm going to attempt to. On that in
1: the months to come. All right. Well, let me know when uh, when that's fully up and running, and I'd be happy to. Uh, uh, first of all, read it. Uh, <laughs> you, you're <laughs> an easy you're an easy writer to read. I appreciate your heart and all those things, and and uh, I really think that Words of God book is very helpful, and I've recommended it several times. And, thank you. And uh, so, John, thank you very much. Uh, I just my prayer is that there's somebody out there hearing this that will be encouraged that, you know, I can I can make that living in music. I can use this gift and I don't have to sew little crosses on everything. I can just be great and 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 serve God this way. And uh I I'm convinced you've probably been a great encouragement. I've loved your answers. The whole notion of art being done for the sake of loving your neighbor. That's a that's a great takeaway for me. I really appreciate
2: that. Thank you. I, I do hope that I've been able to provide the listeners with some, some benefit. And yeah, anybody who's out there as a musician, um, I, I strongly encourage them to really just look at it as something of the godly pursuit. It really is a blessing. I, I can't yeah. tell you how much joy I, I personally get when I'm able to perform for people. It's really a wonderful thing.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to sign off and, and say this is the Worldview Media podcast for this week, and we're all about encouraging our listeners to uh, extend the kingdom of Christ into the area of arts and entertainment. And uh, John Steinreich has been my guest, and we're very thankful. So go out there and serve God in whatever capacity he's gifted you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks.